No, enough, You sit this week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe. We're talking Tenet. It's going to be a fun one. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Hi, how are you? Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via motion spoiler for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some fun other movie topic. This is episode 437. 437. It's, it's unfortunate it's not 434. I thought that too. We we were we were three away from a numerical palindrome. The, the we, one... have, we just just gone back in time and you know retrofitted this one. So like no, this one is actually 343 well, or 434. Here's here's the thing though. What's happened happened. Mm, okay, yeah. Hakuna Matata. Exactly, <laughs> exactly what was intended with that phrase. <laughs> that's that's the way to answer, right? Mm-hmm. And, God, now I'm now I'm picturing uh, either John David Washington or uh, Kenneth Branagh saying that, or 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 <laughs> Seth Rogen or Billy Eichner, of course. <laughs> well, that's not nearly as funny. Oh yeah, that's right. They had a live action version. <laughs> it was in the before times, so but we still went to movie theaters. <laughs> yes. the Regardless, <laughs> speaking of all this palindrome talk and what have you, uh, for this episode we are talking Christopher Nolan's Tenet, Tenet. A, a movie that came out in certain places and was seen by some people and now it's here and we can finally talk about it on the podcast which i've been Yay. looking forward to finally getting to do so um we're getting into all that uh, but joining us to discuss tenant we have from forbes he no longer thinks about the box office he just feels it it's scott mendelson there's nothing to feel anymore <laughs> also, ominous <laughs> also joining us from Criterion Cast and editor at large for Battleship Retention, examining the detritus of a future podcast, it's Scott and I. I gotta tell you guys, it looks like we're heading for disaster. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. S- Scott, Scott, how are you both doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Fantastic. Good. Glad to hear. Glad to have you both here. Scott is Scott Mendelson, always good to have you on. Is of course, we just had you on for our Manhunter commentary not too long ago. It was great. <laughs> and, uh, Scott and I, it's been a minute uh, since Gemini Man, in fact, but uh, glad to have you back. Not for lack of trying on your part, though, I should state for any curious listeners. Uh, Aaron is very graciously invited me on many times, and I keep stopping uh, schedule-wise. I'm glad this worked out. Oh, yeah. Glad, to, glad it did as well. And, uh, yeah, of course. you know, We all got lives. I get it. <laughs> so it's all, you know, we, we have to make things work as we can, and we do. So here we are, talking about Tenet, a movie literally about time. Um, all right, so with that in mind, let's get into some show notes here before we move on to things. Uh, first up, I mentioned the new commentary track. We did talk about Manhunter, Michael Mann's film um, featuring Hannibal Lecter in his first cinematic appearance. That is going to be the theme for the next several months of commentary tracks, uh, so be sure to stay tuned for all of those. But the Manhunter one is currently on iTunes. It's a, it's a lot of fun, a lot of packed info in that one. Uh, what else... Did you guys wear pantyhose over your faces as you guys were doing the podcast? Only, uh, <clears throat> only Jason Coleman, friend of the show and super fan of uh, <laughs> J. Cole. <laughs> yeah. 
he, he, as he likes to say, he, he named his son after uh, Will Graham. So naturally, he dressed him up as Tom. Oh, Noonan. Wow. He dressed up as Tom Newton for that podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what else? Uh, as far as uh, show plans go, um, things are writing themselves as far as release patterns go, what have you. So we will be having a pretty a more secure show in the in the in the, the weeks to come as far as having a specific new release to talk about like we have the the little things coming next week and minari's coming out the week after that so we got a lot of things we can get into and have a yeah a whole bunch of stuff time. yeah so um just keep you know keep that in mind what else uh itunes reviews ratings of course good to get those helps out our show helps other people find our show if you want to log into itunes search for out now there and if you can find our show you can give us a rating and review thank you so much in advance please give us all the five stars all right. With that said, um, as we're talking, as we have, a, as I just mentioned, we have a more kind of secure plan as far as how things are going. We figured let's bring some fun topics back, some segments back that we used to do on the show that we've kind of dropped off in the in the the recent months. Uh, so with that said, let's let's do this. Let's get to some out now quickies. Quickies. Trademark. Wow, we haven't done that in like a year. Yeah, more. It's muscle memory, but it was like it took me a second. I was like, well, I think I'm supposed to say this. Yeah. Well, we we did it, and we're back to it. So let's do, let's do it right now. Uh, let's start. Let's start with uh, Scott and I. Uh, what uh what recent movies have you uh, seen? You want to make note of here? Uh yeah. I mean, we were talking earlier. I've been on a bit of a Tony Scott uh, jag recently. Um, so I finally saw one of. Two movies I hadn't seen of his before, uh, 1990's Revenge, which was an interesting experience, especially because I didn't realize the director's cut was 20 minutes shorter than theatrical, so it was like (laughs) wrapping up, and I was like, shit, there's 20 minutes to go in this? Man, they're really going to, he must be building to a whole other act, and then it was just over. Not one of Tony Scott's best, but it was definitely interesting uh, to watch, definitely recommend people (laughs) check it out. Uh, I also saw The Wicker Man for the first time last night. Uh, That's a much stranger movie than I was anticipating. The OG uh, one or the Nick Cage one? The OG one. I had never seen it before. <laughs> it's uh, terrific. <laughs> it is terrific, but I was expecting, because like people always cite it when talking about like super scary, ominous movies, I wasn't expecting something that's kind of like silly for the most part, and then suddenly very scary. It's almost a musical for like yeah, a good portion of it. For sure. And I was into it. Yeah. It, uh, I, I think that's the spell it casts. It brings you in, and then it's like, by the way, horrible things are going to happen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, Scott Mendelson, how about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, I have. I did get a chance to actually sit down and watch Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh. Um, are we allowed to talk about it? Is the question. I'm the not question going is, to. Are you allowed to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> all I will say, well, that kid, all I will say is that there's a reason they're letting us see it. Oh. What else have I watched? Uh, I watched Homefront for a post the other day. That the underseen and i would argue underappreciated jason statham picture from 2013 that is written by sylvester stallone and stars such action superstars as james franco and kate bosworth and winona Ryder. it's a lot of fun it's one of my favorite solo jason statham action vehicles That's I, I agree that, that was super yeah. fun i i that was one of the because that was 2013 right Yes. And that was it was like around Thanksgiving when it came out? Yes. That was one of the last movies I saw before I went to Africa. Uh, so it was like it was like that block, like that and like Frozen I saw early and 
Spike Lee's Old Boy, which we saw, which was Spike Lee's Old Boy. So it was, like, <laughs> it was, um, oh, it was the new version of The Wicker Man. Got it. <laughs> I think that's it in terms of movies. All right. Well, you're good. I, mean, I, I did plow through Better Call Saul in about a week, which I very much enjoyed. Well, there you go. There you uh, go. Good move enough. on. All right. Hey, yeah. where are you at? You know, I haven't watched a lot of movies. I probably have, but I've also been catching up on a lot of TV. And so I was catching up on Succession. I'm on episode six. Um, that family is is amazing to watch. And when you watch it as a comedy, it's it's easier to swallow than if you were to watch it as like a pure drama. You're like, I hate all these people and I don't like anything. But as a comedy, you're like, these people are so ridiculous. And it's really fun to watch them try and backstab each other. Um, and then I've also caught up on WandaVision, which is my level of weird, and I would highly recommend it. Well, good to know it's on your level of weird. I, I... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the only one that matters. That's one of my preferred levels of weird, honestly. <laughs> there's there's Weird Abe, and then there's Weird Al, and then there's the rest. Yeah, exactly. I don't sing Just Eat It. I sing Just... Go on. Be It? <laughs> Whatever that means. It's good. That, it's a good thing we brought back this segment. That's what right. I'm thinking, right? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I've seen a couple of things I'll make note of. I'll just bring two out real quick, actually, because they just came out on um, Blu-ray, so they're very easy to access right now. Uh, first is The Climb, uh, which was very close to being in my top ten last year. I think it's my number. This is the Miley Cyrus documentary? Yes, exactly. No, this is the, this is the indie comedy... Uh, I don't know the names offhand right now, but it's a very it's a it's, it is a film I find very funny, but it's also very well staged. Where it's based on a short film made by the same writer and director. There's these two friends. They're on a bike ride. As they're going uphill, one is engaged and the other admits to him that he has slept with his wife or has been sleeping with his wife, mm-hmm. and comedy ensues because they're best friends. Uh, and that's the it's hard to not review. There's a thing that take. It's weird to not want to spoil a comedy, but like the way it's fil- the way it's directed and filmed is so intriguing to me because it's basically a lot of long takes, and once you kind of realize that's the rhythm they're going for, it becomes beyond just like the inherent humor of the situations these two friends who remain friends throughout the film, uh, be- beyond like where that takes you. It's just the way it's the way it's handled and presenting each scene. I found to be just a lot of fun and mm. really much better handled than i see when it comes to a lot of like indie comedies that revolve around certain familiar ideas and what have you so it's one that i really mm-hmm. recommend the other one i saw is the kid detective with adam brody as the star there. yes uh this movie's oh. very good um, i was it, it's um it's as it sounds it's called the kid detective it's about this grown-up detective who at a young age was a kid detective and he, he got like the key to the city and stuff for solving you know, like kid-friendly type of crimes. Now he's an adult and he's kind of a loser, and but he still gets into this case where he has to find this missing girl or what have you. And <laughs> it just, it plays really well off of the kind of persona Adam Brody can bring to something. It's nice to see him in a lead role like this because I feel like he is generally pretty talented and uh, doesn't get a lot of chance to show it off. <laughs> um, so um, it's, just, it's just the one that's worth checking out for sure. It has a great kind of irreverent tone to it while being a dark comedy as well. It's not quite like brick as far as having like stylized dialogue. It's very much set in a world that exists, but there's just a lot of really funny moments and whatnot scattered throughout it. So yeah, Kid Detective. That right? one was called Kid Detective. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's. I liked it quite a bit. It's. What if Mystery Team was really took itself really seriously? Yeah. yeah is that way. what it is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> Mystery Team is more is even more yeah. you know on the you know comedy role. This one has yeah. very funny. It, this lands somewhere between there. All right, that was on a quickies. Jim. 
and took several Godzilla movies for me to reach there. And I don't know that I'm going to go on board for another. Yeah, ready? Abe? Yeah, I, I've been probably lukewarm on the Godzilla movies. Um, I think in the reviews for this podcast, for this trailer, I, I kind of dug it. Like what Scott was saying, very rock and rollish. It knows what it's doing. It knows who it's trying to capture. Um, I definitely liked, you know, that King Kong is wielding Stormbreaker, um, and I would love <laughs> to kind of just see where it goes. I'm kind of weirded out by like Godzilla, you know, I guess having like some something happen to him as you as you described earlier. Like, I don't know what's going on because it seems as though he was like the good guy in in a couple of his films. Maybe not the first one, but in any case, I, I'm curious to see how it goes because I do want to see um, some, I guess, kaiju fighting. Uh, but beyond that, you know, it, it looks like a giant mixture of this new world that we're going to be going into for um, for this monster universe. So, you know, I, I'm excited to see it, but uh, I'm not really expecting much from it. Yeah, I mean, you, you know me. I, I'm big on oh, yeah. Godzilla, and I'm, I'm big fan. Uh, and I'm a huge fan of 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 King Kong, um, the the 33 and the Jacksons, and I and I really liked um, Kong Skull Island as well. Like, I'm all in on this universe. It's my like I've said clearly, it's it's my favorite of these cinematic universes currently. So, and I think part of that's because the expectation when it comes to a Godzilla film doesn't really rise that high for me as far as what bar it needs to clear. That's not a matter of quality. It's just a matter of the kinds of things I'm looking for in a movie like this, there's not many of them that they don't tend to reach in some form or another, even the weaker ones. So it's like, you're just telling me the title of this movie is Godzilla vs. Kong. It's like, well, what else do I need to be satisfied by what that experience could possibly bring to me? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't hurt that I, I like Adam Wingard. I don't like all of his movies, but I'm curious to see what he brings to this. I know he's a massive fan of Godzilla, so like that's always a... The, the the past three Godzilla fans have people that like Godzilla versus Roland Emmerich who hates Godzilla. So it's like, yeah, this is a nice step in a, in a direction here. Um, and you know, Matthew Broderick like, wore that hat. He he did wear that hat. You're right. Uh, but no beards. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. Um, and then you have like this ridiculous cast involved. It's like over this overqualified cast of people that are all here to yeah. say obligatory lines of dialogue, and you don't need to invest very much because like, yeah, all right, Brian Tyree Henry. That's all I need. That's you know, he'll do what he does. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I I have an expectation of what this is going to deliver. I hope it exceeds that as far as what else could be going on, as far as what this plot is. Yeah, I I have theories on what's going on with Godzilla, but I'll be curious to see if the movie actually lives up to them, because if it does, that's going to be one wacky movie. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Well, uh, we'll see. We'll see where all that goes. Uh, Godzilla vs. Kong opens in theaters and on HBO Max on March 26th uh, this year. So uh, stay tuned. Alright, with all that said, let's move on. Let's get to our main review for Tenet. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. I'm not saying I'm getting here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike, bring me in. You really want to know? He can communicate with the future. Time travel. No. Inversion. 
Aim it and pull the trigger. You're shooting the bullet. You're catching it. I've seen too much. Well, we'll try and keep up. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Tenet for a variety of reasons. Most notably, the COVID-19 pandemic turned Christopher Nolan's cerebral blockbuster into more than just a movie-going event. A $200 million movie serving as a big test for how movie studios could proceed, the film managed to earn $360 million worldwide. With that in mind, is the film a worthwhile blockbuster event? It tells the story of John David Washington's protagonist being entered into an organization known as Tenet, which relies on espionage skills and the ability to manipulate time through inverted entropy in order to handle missions focused on protecting the world. In this case, our protagonist, who is known as the protagonist, will be joined by Robert Pattinson as a talented handler to take on Kenneth Branagh's Andrei Sator, a Russian oligarch with one eye on the future and another on his estranged wife, Kat, played by Elizabeth Debicki, who Sator is fiercely controlling over. Let's go to Scott. Nye, was, <laughs> was, was Nolan's film one that captured your imagination to the point of saving cinema? Uh, that's a that's a heavy load for any one movie to carry. <laughs> um, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I'll confess straight away. I understood like a third of this movie, maybe on a particularly bright moment during it. Um, so oh, and then I watched it again. Uh, with headphones on so I could actually catch all the dialogue, which subject for another time, I'm sure. Um, and I, I could hear all the dialogue this time, and I still only understood a third of it. Nevertheless, there's a certain uh, rhythm to this movie and hypnotic quality to this movie that I found uh, very compelling. And it is just flat out awesome to see people go backwards and forwards at the same time. There's a lot of very kind of base level moving image stuff that Christopher Nolan does very well in his movies um, that even when I can't make heads or tails of them or maybe have some larger constructive issues with them, uh, he's very good at delivering those those thrills. And they came fast and furious in this movie. Sometimes it felt like the editing was having trouble keeping up, but all the better to keep things rolling along and just keep the confounding elements colliding uh, so, yeah, I, I had quite a good time with this movie. Just out of curiosity, because the movie was obviously available in different ways to see it, when did you did you when did you first watch this movie? Uh, yeah, I bought the 4K disc when it came out and nice. then foolishly uh, sold it off because now I wish I, I just kind of had it on hand. But I was like, ah, I, that wasn't much for me. I didn't really like it as much the first time. And then it just kind of lingered with me and uh, I ended up renting it to watch it again for this podcast. Um but I'm sure I'll reclaim that 4K disc somewhere down the bargain bin line. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will note, by the way, this movie's been out for a while now, and it's even out on, you know, Blu-ray and 4K and all that. So we figure, not that we're going to need to dive necessarily straight into spoilers, but I'm not going to hold back. We're not going to hold back as far as what we need to delve into in order to talk about the film without having to be too vague about things. So just be aware mm -hmm. of that if you have not seen the movie already. Although I figure if you're listening to this Tenet podcast, you probably had seen the movie. So, or you with, just love our voices. <laughs> either way. Uh, <laughs> with that said, Scott Mendelson, uh, how, uh, how, did, how did your experience go watching Tenet? Uh, spoiler, uh, protagonist and Neil do pass their history report and save all of its, all the world. Um, <laughs> no, um, I actually, for better or worse, I drove out to Vegas to see this on the first night of paid screenings. I sat in dead center of an IMAX theater with my hearing aids and still had a terrible time hearing a lot of the dialogue. Um, so I'm one of those people. 
Uh, I wasn't crazy about the film the first time I saw it. I liked the first act when it's basically just John David uh, Washington basically is a Jason Bourne type guy who kind of has to pretend to be James Bond for a while and the certain unease in playing that role and occasionally the him relishing that role, which is a, a lot of fun. I, I think the movie's funnier than it's given credit for. Uh, and B there's a certain meta commentary on the idea that, you know, Chris Nolan cast a black man in this role for no particular reason. I mean, there's no, you know, it's not a film where the, you know, the protagonist has to be not a white guy. Nonetheless, there's a certain, you know, differing dimensions to seeing a black man engage in this kind of James Bond type adventure, especially one, you know, a character who isn't used to playing in that particular sandbox. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie kind of started to lose me as it got more and more into its central gimmick. And again, part of the problem is I was having a devil of a time hearing a lot of the dialogue. And I think for me, my biggest issue with it as it went forward is that to me, the backwards and forwards in time reminded me a lot of the, you know, I, I kept thinking of, of Fallen Kingdom, the Jura- the last Jurassic World movie. I wonder where they, why. Well, the, the idea that, you know, that they go through all this, 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 this plot where the film pays off, where a bunch of people, a bunch of rich, you know, oligarchs and terrorists or whatever are auctioning dinosaurs. And the idea that you have this super predator that this dinosaur is so awesome. You know, you point your gun at a guy and the dinosaur will see the, the laser and will attack the guy. And People like me and lots of other people, frankly, Mark, well, why don't they just shoot him with the gun? And I guess to me, a lot of the back and forth tiddlywinks seem to be a really complicated way for the characters to achieve what were pretty conventional spycraft goals. For me, the appeal of, oh, they're going backward. Oh, now they're going forward. Oh, he's driving the car, but kind of doing it backwards like you're holding a you know video game controller upside down. It's amusing and it's it's clever, but on a story level, it really did nothing for me. So as the film got more and more about its gimmick, I was far less engaged as it went along. Now, when I saw it for a second time on Blu-ray slash DVD with subtitles, I enjoyed it more. Uh, I got more out of it. And I, I would have enjoyed the film more had it been... You know, had I been able to hear most of the dialogue? Yeah. Would I have I enjoyed the film more if I had been able to see it again quickly? You know, in a scenario where theaters were open and I could go to my local multiplex and give it a second chance? Yeah, sure. You know, I, that's what I did with Interstellar. Another film that I had a devil of a time hearing the first time around. The second time, you know, I went you know, to a different screening sat dead center with my hearing aids and frankly was able to hear most of the movie that time. So on one hand, you know, I, I, I don't, it's not, you know, I did not enjoy it as much as I wanted to. I can certainly appreciate what Nolan was going for, but my biggest problem in my theatrical screening was that I couldn't hear a lot of the dialogue. So even the, the dialogue that was clever or made the plot click the second time around, well, at the end of the day, I could only cut them so much slack for, you know, a bad audio mix. And I'm going to stop for now. I'll jump in later. Okay. 
Abe, I've been very curious to hear your thoughts on Tenet. I know you you've find you've finally just been able to see it. So where 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 are we now with this? Yeah, I, I was able to watch Tenet um, over the weekend. I cut it out of home theater, uh, so I wasn't able to go out to any theaters to go see it. Um, or in some cases, I guess I was just not willing to go out to any theater to go see it, if, it, if even if it did play close by. Um, so I was able to see it with good sound, good quality uh, of video. As as far as like the movie goes, I liked it as like a like a heist caper, you know, like what what Scott was saying as like this Jason Bourne type movie, like spy type flick. It's very fun in that way. And also what Scott and I was saying, uh, like the the action comes fast and furious. Like there's. It's not really as though there was like a whole bunch of of um, of downtime in between what's going to happen uh, in the next in the as far as like the next action piece goes. Like as far as the story goes, like I honestly was not like I followed along well enough, but it wasn't as though it was something that I felt like, oh, wow, Nolan is really like pushing some sort of really deep thought here. I was like, I just saw it as like a caper movie and as a, uh, a spy flick. And then as like, as the movie progresses in that light in that point of view, it's fun enough. And what I liked about those movies is that there's even some times where they're trying to explain time travel. They're like, I just don't have time to explain this. Like they, they took a looper route and I was like, I, I appreciate that. Um, and then there's also times where it just trails off, but there are times where they try to go exposition heavy on you. And I'm just like, I don't really care. Um, and that's probably me just being like, I, I don't know if this is one of those movies where I would need to think that deeply about it. Um, and that's not a, that's not a diss at Nolan. It's just more of, this is a long movie. It's two and a half hours. And I understand that there's, I understand the central premise of the problem. And I, I also understand who I'm trying to, uh, follow along with this and let's just get to it. And to my, my surprise, um, it was basically an action movie uh and i appreciate that very much about the movie so overall i liked it because of of those particular pieces of it i didn't really have any issue with the audio i i definitely hear what scott says though like um because there are some times where i think the sound mixing is is poor but ultimately i was like i didn't really give a shit about any of the of the um exposition and i don't know if that made it less of an experience for me or uh, maybe even enhanced it to some degree. All right. Well, I um. So I've seen this movie a few times now. The first was at the drive-in with my lovely girlfriend. We drove out and saw it that way. And from a sound standpoint, I had neither of us had any issue. I don't know if that's because of the contained nature of being in a car where the sound's not bouncing off everywhere, so you're just you're hearing what you need to, and this the focus is how it is. But I mean, it just didn't occur to me as a problem. Watch it again um with my dad at home on 4k and again i didn't have an issue and he didn't either which was surprising to me because he is one who is harder of hearing so if he has if he has an issue he tends to make that very clear so i can either raise the volume or turn on subtitles or what have you so regardless that aspect of the movie just wasn't like a factor for me necessarily as far as the movie goes um there's three things i know nolan is a big fan of uh, Michael Mann, Michael Bay, and James Bond movies. And this very much feels like he's throwing all of that together to make this giant action adventure, um, which I very much, with a sci-fi twist, obviously, which I very much enjoyed. Um, I agree with you, Abe. I do think it's functioning primarily as this kind of slick spy film that happens to be made by a director who tends to be given a lot of credit for being this prestige blockbuster filmmaker when i don't necessarily think all his films apply to this kind of prestige level of filmmaking uh, not to say that he's you know not putting in the effort or what have you but as far as 
you know, would you watch this and think definitely need to predict it as far as some kind of Oscar t- contender? No, I wouldn't think so. I just think it looks like a really classy blockbuster that, that asks more of the audience as far as, hey, maybe you want to listen while you watch this as opposed to, I guess, not listening. Um, but I mean, it works for me. <laughs> I hear what you're, I mean, yeah, issues are issues. No, I get I that. But I mean, it's just as far as in the similar manner as, as Inception, it's a movie that, you know, the the premise of the movie requires you to keep up so you can play along with the premise of the movie, right? Like you need, it's not just giving you the conventional thing, although it is to an extent, it's giving you things on top of that. So you can have an additional level of understanding, ideally to keep you engaged by the film, but also to keep you wanting more as far as wanting to watch it again and again and again, which I think is a, I'm not saying that makes the movie like you, it's required that you see it multiple times, but I think there's, a meaty movie here that rewards you if you do choose to watch it again. That said, the initial viewing, I had a blast with. I thought this movie was a lot of fun. I think John David Washington is great in this movie. I uh, I agree with you, Scott. I think the idea of casting someone like Washington, you just there's a different vibe there than getting you know one of the Chris's to be in this movie. <laughs> it just it, it just it sits with you in a different kind of way because you're seeing a person that you don't normally see in a blockbuster of this scope in the specifically the lead role doing the things that he's doing and i i I think that really adds to what this movie's capable of and then you have pattinson coming along here and just (laughs) like literally sliding into screen and just being very charismatic and just like the two of them together in nice suits walking around that seems like a movie in itself but that movie night like you you're you're saying how you scott you mendelson you mentioned that like as the film goes along and increases the use of the kind of the time warping aspect, you were less interested. I liked how it kind of gave you like the kids gloves version of it early on and then just kept ramping it up slow, you know, on a, a decent pace. So like it got, you know, by the middle of the movie, you have like a car chase by the end of the movie, you're in like a full blown war scene involving multiple people, a lot of people all in the kind of time inversion as like dealing with that. I, it's not unlike inception as far as, you know, there's deeper and deeper dream layers and all these different rules and what have you. Is that is inherently is this movie is inherently cinematic as something like Inception as far as making worlds bend on top of each other, what have you? No, and I think that's why this one's maybe less successful than some of Nolan's better films. But as far as like an action blockbuster goes, where the stakes are fairly straightforward once you get a handle on it, it's you know a spy needs to stop a guy from destroying the world. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's fun that's fun to me i like that kind of grandiose nature of these kind of stakes added with that this yeah cerebral nature of hey we have this crazy time element that you have to kind of keep up with in order to get i guess i mean so for me it just all really it came together quite well i would still say it's maybe not on the top tier of nolan films but as far as like you know a big action blockbuster yeah i i'd rather see something like this as opposed to other things that i've seen plenty of times before presented in this way yeah, for sure. I also wanted to uh, echo uh, both of your compliments for uh, John David Washington, not only in like the fact of his casting, but he brings a lot to what could easily be a very blank role. I mean, uh-huh. as we've joked about, he doesn't even have a name, um, <laughs> but he brings this sort of like not only like a swagger, but like a sort of questioning aspect of it all. Like he's just a little bit uh skeptical that like everything's as important as everyone's making it out to be you know i love his little scene with michael kane where they're like talking about suits he's like no i can find my own tailor he just has this kind of like (laughs) slight remove from the whole situation where he's just kind of like standing a little bit outside of it all 
that um, for a character who has almost nothing on the page to play, he finds a lot to play there. And, you know, there's plenty of times when I'm like, what is this guy's motivation outside of like, it's his job. I think just Washington has such a strong presence that that doesn't really like affect my enjoyment of it. It's weird, totally. how that can, it's weird how that can sometimes become like a detriment for some people. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, that's fine. Where I feel like something like Ethan Hunt, for example, there's not much for him either in many of the Mission Impossible movies. He's just Tom Cruise, right? I mean, there's not <laughs> yeah, much Tom of a Cruise, character there. Like, always comes across as the most motivated person. You're like, I don't know what's <laughs> driving this guy, but he is clearly motivated. He's getting Hollywood jobs, Scott and I. And, th- and, and, that's, <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's part of my point. I think that's yeah. that's a real success of John David Washington, an actor who has not been around that long, has yeah, no, no real screen presence as far as, not screen presence, but I mean as far as like... A, no, like Persona. Uh, yeah, exactly. A yeah. screen Persona that audiences immediately recognize beyond like, hey, he's that guy that was in maybe a movie I saw and he's Denzel's son. Like, so the idea that Denzel's he can... Denzel's son? <laughs> so, so the idea that he can like bring that out in one, in his first major blockbuster title, I find that to be quite impressive. Well, I think the other thing about John David Washington too is that he he fits the the role of this character. He looks like somebody who is intellig- super intelligent and also can kick your ass, right? He looks so like a like, football oh, player. Great. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's I, you know, even as someone that was, was mixed on the film overall, I did have quite a bit of fun with him again trying to play in this, you know, sort of ritzy James Bond sandbox. Mm-hmm. You know, I love his verbal sparring with Michael Caine. I love his verbal sparring with Kenneth Branagh. You know, their first very brief dinner date or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I could have used a lot more scenes of him and Kenneth Branagh scoring off rather than Kenneth yes. Branagh playing the worst man possible, especially yes. when it comes to his wife and the, just um, the uh, the abuse that he's dealing out in this movie. Um, well, I mean, you can yeah. you can go watch Jack Ryan and Shadow Recruit for that. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of <laughs> no. there's a lot of sparring with Chris there. Uh, one thing I also <laughs> was, was going to mention is that you know I I like this movie on the national level and so. It's just hard for me to rewatch it because it's two and a half hours long. Um, and that's not like one of those things that you could just like ease into. You know what I mean? Like you can't just be like on a Saturday, you're folding your laundry. You're like, let's go watch Tenet again. It's like it'll take a half your day. Uh, but it, it is fun because it's wild to try and think about from like a, from a technical perspective. You're just trying to think like, well, how did they do this? Or like, how did they do that? And I wonder like what this is all about. So it, it's fun to pick it apart. Because there's a lot of cool things going on here that Nolan is employing, uh, but again, the the running time is fairly long. Well, I mean, regardless of, yes, the I mean, there is a lengthy running time. So as far as you know, the time in your day to do this, I understand the difficulty there. But as far mm-hmm. as the time that it takes to watch this movie, I I really admire how like Scott, nah, you mentioned this. The pacing is pretty great in this thing. Like I. <laughs> The last time I watched it, I was kind of thinking of Raiders and the whole philosophy of that being Spielberg and Lucas wanted to make a movie where it's all the good parts. And that's <laughs> kind of what Tenet feels like. That's partially a problem, I think, as Mendelssohn, you've described, because there's what, you not know, a lot of character. There's not a lot of character. But even then, like when you look at Raiders now, that movie is still quick. It, you know, it's Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's one of the greatest adventure movies. But regardless, <laughs> nowadays, by comparison, you can see where it slows down a bit to talk about. Sure. Stuff. Yes. Uh, this movie, and those dialogue scenes are engaging. They are. This I'm not going to say these dialogue scenes aren't engaging, but I mean, for a two and a half hour movie, it really does move pretty consistently as far as getting you from scene to scene to scene. But yes, it comes at a detriment of you don't have 
you don't have time to breathe in some of the stuff that feels fairly important to understand at times. So it's like I I can understand where people are coming from when like when Nye, like you say, you know, you understand like a third of it. I get that. I, I like I can't say that I completely understood everything that happened the first time I watched this movie, but like I I still appreciate the fact that it's like, well, we're not going to rest on this. We have only, we only have two and a half hours to do this, I guess. So it's just, you know, scene for scene, there's wild things happening, whether they're visually, you know, fantastical as far as the time looping stuff, or it's, you know, more establishing shots of giant rich yachts that people have or whatever. There's just, there's always a lot going on, even with the, the fact that the movie's super, mm-hmm. you know, super lengthy. Yeah. I think sometimes Nolan, as is his want, gets into trouble by overcomplicating things. Like, it's cool. It's kind of a cool visual that they all need masks to breathe their own oxygen, but it, like, creates this whole storytelling thing where they constantly have to justify the presence of oxygen. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, I don't know that that's something that he really needed to fit in. I mean, it helps distinguish, like, who's moving which way, I guess, but uh-huh. it's a, kind of an. Un- it feels like overly complicated for an already complicated thing well, of just tracking where everybody is. For example, and you know, I know this is nitpicking, but when I, I realized when I watched it for a second time, you know, the whole airport scene, you know, the context behind that is far more complicated than it needs to be. And well, that's nothing wrong with offering a, a situation that isn't par for the course. It does require that the character stop and explain something that isn't necessarily related to the plot, isn't necessarily related to the character, but just the very specific, okay, this is where art that, you know, is waiting for customs and, you know, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) All basically, let's be honest, because no one wants to crash a plane. Um, yeah, but Scott, he's got to explain how rich people live so that you understand that there are these loopholes. I mean, that, you're in there. If you're not wrong, something that, I mean, that's another thing I kind of like about this movie. The the people, do, and I guess it, it's a little, I don't know if it's classist or whatever, but it's a little, it's kind of fun to be like, all of these things are being handled by people with just insane amounts of wealth. Like all the, like the villains are rich. The good guys are rich. They all have unlimited means to do things. There's just something specific about that, that I kind of enjoyed where they just like, they have everything they need at their disposal and they're focused on saving the world or destroying the world, I guess. And I think the point of that is that, you know, the protagonist and to a lesser extent, Neil is the only one that cares about making sure the, you know, the little people don't get killed in the process. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the opening opera siege, he's the only one that seems to care about all the bombs that are going to blow everybody up. Um, you know, he's the one to say, you know, make sure, okay, we're going to crash a plane. Make sure there's no passengers on it, which you'd yeah. think would be an obvious thing, but, you know, who knows? But, uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that that is the choice to set this in the world of the ultra-rich is intentional, and I, I appreciate the specificity, but in terms of a film that wants to be as breathless as this picture is – and again, that's that's a nitpick, something that I, I sort of picked up on in my second viewing while I was in the moment enjoying that sequence. It's like, wow, there's a lot of exposition just to explain why there are not just at a random art museum. Well, here's a here's a question for you and everybody. What what is there is a you know a number of you know set pieces in this film. Obviously, it's a blockbuster, or what have you. What is your favorite one in this film? Because it's hard for me not to say that whole airport sequence, honestly. Yeah, the airport sequence is pretty killer. I, I think for me, the car chase, uh, and really it's less of a set piece, but that whole sequence of uh, Kenneth Branagh on one side and John Dave watching on the other, and he's like speaking mm. backwards and stuff. Red room, blue uh, room? Yeah, red, blue room. <laughs> my yeah, my favorite so it's childhood like game. In red and blue, just on an aesthetic level, like the whole ramp up to get to that moment and then that showdown, that was kind of when the movie was really working for me. Right. Abe, did you have a... Yeah, I mean... 
the the airport sequence is very fun and cool too, especially the way that it loops back and and you're just like, oh, uh, that's pretty neat. I mean, it, it's kind of like a Nolan trope now, just to be like, don't forget about this this setting. <laughs> um, but um, I also really enjoy a lot of the action in the end piece too. I mean, the end piece is very long, but it's cool just to have. Again, it, it's almost like there's three things going, three storylines going on in the end piece with the two Neils, right? Um, so it's very fun to watch that and kind of just like pick it apart. Um, but That's I agree with you thing. that the, the first airport sequence, or the first time you see the airport sequence, you're like, oh, this is, I, I love the choreography of this. I love the way that they thought about how to shoot this and then how to reverse some parts or like keep some parts forward, you know what I mean? Um, from a technical standpoint, and you're just like, this is very fun to watch. That's, I mean, pointing that out, that's, it is wild to think of, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening here that Nolan has to, like, somehow write out in a screenplay and make that work cinematically. And adding to that, in an age, you know, in 2020, we're at a point where you can do a ton of stuff with visual effects or what have you. And Nolan very much wanted to bring out how, like, we didn't have that many CG shots or what have you in this film. Uh, we mm -hmm. had less, like you said, what, we had less, we have less than some romantic comedies. And watching this movie, it's like I get that. There's a lot. There's so much in-camera stuff because the, it's not as dramatic as going into space or flipping worlds on top of each other. It's just play it in reverse. Now, obviously, that requires a lot of choreography and timing right. and what have you to like accomplish that. But I get where he's coming from. So it's neat to see a director like this work with what he has and get it in camera and like find ways to manipulate that and make that you know work given the premise that he set up here. Which again. I think works because he's able to kind of give you a smaller version before he ramps it up and ramps it up and ramps it up. Then by the time you get to this giant end set piece, like you mentioned, Dave, where it, it is very complicated and there's a, there's a, you know, tons of extras on screen running backwards and forwards and what have you. And it's like, it's the best Halo move I've ever seen. And I, I don't know how you I mean do that, that okay. but I, I'm, I'm sure you do, but it's, it is impressive to watch. And yeah, like the, multiple times I've watched this movie, it's that's like, it's such a complex scene. It's become clearer and clearer to me over time as far as how many kneels there actually are in this scene and what mm -hmm. have you. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things about, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Michael Mann and, and Michael Bay and whatever else, and I was like, I, I don't necessarily think that Christopher Nolan has to make movies that are, yes, this one has like a complex time loop element or a time element uh, involved with it, but, you know, he could just make his own version of Heat, and I'm totally okay with it. And that's what I enjoyed about this is just, like, if I took all that future element out, like, the the looper element out with the uh, uh, the time travel stuff, um, not that I, I, I take it out 100%, but just more of, like, I disregard some of, like, the exposition. It's a fun it's a fun action movie. Um, I think the also, the score is great. Like, there's really, like, cool synth score. Who did the score for this one? Ludwig Gorenson, who did Black Yeah, Panther I was really into it. Yeah, I what I especially liked is you can tell he's playing with it as far as the the reverse of it. He's clearly reversing it in certain scenes. Oh, interesting. Like, I didn't pay attention to that. You can hear it with like, I mean, I think it. You know, if I if I was ever to like look at every single character and see which one's moving backwards, which one's moving forward, you can get a grip on what he's doing with that score. But I feel like it. The more I've watched it, the more clear it becomes when like certain characters appear on screen. You can tell like the the themes of the movie represent like what kind of what you know what direction they're going mm -hmm. um so it's just, yeah it's, it's just very it's a very it's a very good score it's very playful as far as time it's it's yeah. operating on that not unlike you know like zimmer was doing with dunkirk last time around with the yeah and it, it kind of brought me back to like some some elements of tron legacy with um daft punk with dp um 
yeah exactly where it was kind of like cool melodic and very easy to listen to like i I definitely could feel like i'm just jamming out to it um as i'm moving through the future as well let's talk about some of the other actors in this movie we talked about washington a lot we have pattinson debicki and kenneth branagh among other many others in like random supporting roles but where are you guys on with uh, some of these supporting players um kenneth branagh is obviously it's a little tongue-in-cheek but i did appreciate that you know frankly as is unlike as has been common of late he's not you know a complex villain in the sense that oh he has recognized you know he's sympathetic and flawed and just you know yeah he's a bastard (laughs) he's an asshole and unapologetically so you know if you want to play you know bond villain comparisons he most reminded me of uh oh god a moonraker um michael lonsdale yeah lonsdale thank you um hugo drax yes thank you hugo drax (laughs) um and you know we are you know, the few, the proud, the Boobreaker fan club. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, on one hand, you know, oh, God, he, you know, he played this character in Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit several years ago. But, <laughs> you know, and, you know, there are a few beats that are surprisingly similar to both movies, but whatever. You know, Debecky does as much as she can with a very stock role. And, you know, I that was one of my quote-unquote criticisms with the film. It's one of those films that thinks that, you know, giving a female character a child that she cares about is the same, you know, is development. Oh, does she have a child in this movie? I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> several times. especially on second view, I was like, this kid is super important to one character and never shot on screen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, 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 you know, Michael Caine's singular cameo was a nice touch. Um, no, they just they actually just caught Michael Caine at lunch. They were just like, yeah. hey, where are you going to be this afternoon? Oh, I'm at this really nice hotel. Uh, they put some flashcards in his lap. <laughs> I, I think uh, Caine might bring into the late uh, Peter O'Toole stage of doing all his roles, either sitting or laying down completely. I'll be interested to see where he goes. He phoned it you know in Don't Dunkirk, literally. Like 2007, so. where every Peter O'Toole movie, he was just laying down. I was like... Yeah. Get it, Peter O'Toole. Stardust was the epitome of that. He's just in yeah. bed. That's when I really noticed it. I was like, put, they put like a funny you know hat on him. there already, Scott and I? Bruce Dern. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He was great in Once Upon a Time. In great laying down role. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Pattinson's, you know, having a blast in this Yeah, picture. I was going to say, like, Patton comes in, um, like, Aaron, you said he slides into the screen. It's like, dude, that guy yeah. never releases his grip. He's cool, suave, like, Scarves. action heavy. Like, it's cool. Like, it's cool to see him, like, in this role of sidekick but super able sidekick you know what i mean and then like it becomes you know by the end they're like the emotional core is them two relating oh, yeah. to each other despite being in different like years apart as far as their relationship goes i was not even <laughs> expecting that i was like you know because they they shake hands at one point he's like whose protocol is like our protocol they're like they're friends now uh, well, they're in the ambulance, and then later I'm like, why am I feeling emotions about this? They have, they have a rather well, ple- pleasant send-off. This is an action movie! Uh, and, you know, I, that's another, you know, thing that, you know, obviously I got what was going on the first time. The second time around, knowing it was coming, you know, it was more emotionally compelling to me. And I do like, especially on a second viewing, that it sort of flips around the idea of which character is the audience surrogate in terms of, you know, Pattinson, which of the two of them is the one that needs everything explained to them, and which is, oh. you know, obviously, as we find out going forward, Pattinson knows more than he lets on. Right. So, you know, by the end of the second act, he's the one that's, you know, laying out the foundation, and Washington is now the guy that's, you know, 
in the shoes of the audience learning stuff. Yeah, once once Aaron Taylor Johnson comes in and explains it's been a temporal yes. <laughs> pincer movement. Which uh, seems much better with subtitles. Well, you see, Scott, Kay has been training a partner. He's been training a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> you ever I look will, at the stars? Yes, beautiful. which one's Kay and which one is Jay? I will I will say though speaking of I I do think Aaron Taylor Johnson's quite good in this movie. Yes. Uh, he yes, yes. he comes in with like with with his natural accent and just gets to kind of lay out things in a way that doesn't seem pandering. It just seems like all right, like this guy with attitude it just seems like he has the experience is giving me things that sound reasonable. It it I don't know why. It feels like we all just kind of don't have much to say about Taylor Johnson because he just kind of came on the scene, was in a few movies that here or there is like all right and then seemed to like fade away a bit and now he's like here like a supporting a very supporting role by comparison and it just seems like he clicked he clicked with like the vibe of this film like like it's surprising that like killian murphy was not in this movie it's like he feels that role as far as nolan feels, yeah so. i also think it's kind of the least uh ego i've seen from him on screen it yeah. feels like he's always yeah. fighting for the spotlight even when he's the main character in a movie and here he's just like totally content to be the kind of the straight man and just like it's a character part yeah, it's a deliver. It's a lot of exposition delivery of that, but um, he, he grounds it in a, a key way, and I was very surprised to see that from him. Which matters because he's there at the end, also. Like he's a major character at the end yeah, of this movie. Sure. You're like, right. oh, I guess I really need to like be, uh, you know, be aware of this guy, even though he like enters in almost two hours into the film. So. What I'm getting from this movie is that we should watch it like Memento and just watch it all backwards. <laughs> that actually might help out. You need to have the special feature on the disc that reorders it for you. <laughs> yeah. You have to well, do I mean, the, the you know, code stuff and everything with the DVD. Not to be, you know, beat a dead horse, but for me, I think I would have enjoyed it more if I, you know, been able to hear more of the dialogue <laughs> because I did enjoy it more with subtitles. Yeah. You know, it's I I understood the broad details of the plot the first time, but I enjoyed the little intricacies, the way that the film does you know, lay the groundwork and connect into place in certain ways, not just in a plot sense, but in a character sense too. And again, I'm just, I'm baffled by his choice to make the dialogue for some people, I guess, although I know I'm not the only one that had this issue, you know, as, as challenging to hear as it is. Do you think there's an awareness on his part as far as, because it's not, I mean, it's one, it's, it's one thing for, you know, scenes to be loud, but it's another thing for like, a scene to take place on train tracks with moving trains or yachts where you have to wear helmets yeah. to use microphones to talk while you're in the middle of the water, or you have, you know, g giant car chases and explosions happening around you while things are going like it. I, I can't imagine Nolan's like, well, I'm making it simple this time. Like it feels like there's a very clear yeah. choice that he's yeah. making. Especially in staging when these they're on those boats in the water. I was like, is Christopher Nolan just fucking with us at this point? I feel like the, the guy that loves MacGruber is kind of in on the joke here, I feel. It, oh, yeah, but kind of it's still that way. I also just think there's a broader industry problem of all these movies being finished in these pristine environments where, like, yeah, in the best possible environment, you probably can hear this movie totally fine, um, but most people aren't watching the movie that way, you know? And it, well, you, that's see, just it. I saw Interstellar at the world premiere you know the hollywood you know uh, chinese imax theater and i couldn't hear a damn thing but that's, I, that's I saw yeah the opposite end because what they're really finishing these movies in much smaller rooms they're not finishing yeah, it a place that big so like i saw uh inception at, at some kind of boutique high-end theater at the time 
with the state-of-the-art sound system, I couldn't believe people were having trouble hearing the dialogue. And then I saw it a few weeks later at a shitty multiplex. I was like, oh, now I see. Um, Wait, Inception? That was an issue? Yeah, totally. Fair enough. I did not. Um, I thought it would start with Dark Knight Rises. No, no, it just it's gotten worse every time out. Um, but it's it's such a larger industry problem just all the way around. I mean, this was the thing people think people were saying with Solo, like where it's so dark you can't really see what's going on. And like I saw it at a high end theater and had no problem, but I can see where that would be a problem if it wasn't at a high end theater. And so it's, I well, think it's gonna be more problem as the years go on. I think with the sound thing for me, it wouldn't be as big of a deal if Nolan wasn't understandably the only guy that gets gajillion dollar budgets to make original pictures so you know i you know it's not his responsibility it's not his obligation but since he's the only guy playing that can you know financially play in the sandbox you know to what extent is him being you know arguably experimental and or whatever you know to the detriment of the entire industry and I know that that's hyperbolic, but, you know, if this was, you know, the 90s and there were lots of people like Nolan that got, you know, 75, 100, 150 million dollars to make original pictures, then it would be, oh, oh that's funny. Nolan and his goofy sound mix again, whatever. But, you know, because he's the only game in town, it's significantly more frustrating. Yeah, I dig that for sure. We really need a Walter Merch to come in here and set things straight, I guess. The show. I have a question. Uh, Abe, you brought this up, and I had this actually in my notes to gear this in a different direction. You you talked about you know how on its head it works as a kind of an action adventure movie. It doesn't really have anything too deep to say. I'm curious. Do you think this movie is about anything beyond what it's doing? Like, is there a you know a deeper theme here reflecting the world at large or anything? Because I I've been trying to wonder what that would be beyond maybe some surface stuff, and I don't know um... what that is. Is that for anybody or something? That's yeah, for anybody, so, and it makes me. Uh, it also makes me, me question. It makes me make just real quick. It makes me question other Nolan films in general. I'm trying to think. Does he ever well, actually have much to say in his movies? Beyond I what he's doing? think to a certain extent, you know, the film can be read as the notion of, you know, really ridiculously rich entitled white people basically shaping the fate of everybody else, just out of arrogance and you know, if I can't have it, no, nobody else can. And therefore, in that sense, the casting of a black man as the hero, the only man who can save the world, is very intentional. Uh-huh. I do think it, it, it does play in the whole, oh, they're just, you know, they're bad guys because of climate change, which is, you know, a huge cliche these days. And I get it. But um, but no, I, I do think there is subtext there uh, in terms of, you know, you know, who, you know, who tell who chooses when your story ends, who, you know, who makes macro decisions to affect the entire world and the demographics of the people that make up you know those quote-unquote masters of the universe and that's where i think you know the, the class issues come in where you have these you know ridiculously rich people that basically don't care if their employees get gassed to death as long as the art doesn't get harmed um <laughs> or you know the the you know, the, the strike team that's trying to stop the terrorists, but don't really care if all the op people get blown up as long as they get their ass out and done. And conversely, the protagonist, you know, that's that's what makes him in opposition to everybody else is that he does care. You know, he cares as much about saving, you know, the one person, you know, in a very Ethan unkind of way. You know, the means don't justify the ends. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we're going to be, you know, it's, it's... And yeah, it's a little cliche that... 
he's basically willing to endanger the entire world just to save a hot woman that he barely knows. You know, that's certainly... She's got a kid, Scott. <laughs> that, that, that's, wait, that for she, her, wait, that's... wait, she has a kid? He goes to a private school, Aaron. <laughs> um, and, you know, that is sort of a trope that sort of, you know, was one of my issues with the picture. Which uh, is especially interesting because there's no romantic relationship there. There are romantic no. relationships with Neil, honestly. Like, that's the that's yes, the, yes, that's the, that's the heart. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I do think there's there's text there, but I don't think it's it's certainly doesn't use a hell, yellow yellow highlighter. Well, the, I mean, the things you're spelling out are stuff that was popular in the '80s, like during the Cold War. Like it's just like yeah, yeah there's Russians, they're bad. <laughs> like I mean, that's, yeah, it's it's not that's why that's why I'm asking this question to begin with. Is there I mean beyond like I guess climate change? Like is there anything new? Like Scott and I, do you have anything? Uh, is there anything you saw in this? Um, I'll throw out this very esoteric thought I had last night right. uh, while I was rewatching it, and. You know, maybe I've just been sitting inside too long. Who's to say? But I was thinking about how unmotivated all the characters felt to me and how, like, you know, it felt like they're kind of just filling roles kind of assigned to them by the plot. You know, even just the nature of the character being called protagonist and how they still like were going through the motions of these roles, kind of very earnestly performing them and how that kind of just. I'm trying to think about a phrase. So it kind of just, they're all fitting into the roles of the spy movie. And they also are kind of predestined to do these things because that's the way time travel movies work and everything happens because they happen. And so there's kind of this reflexive way in which the movie is both full, you know, hitting the beats of the spy movie and characters gladly hitting those beats without any underlying motivation and the way that people in time travel movies have to just keep doing the same things over and over again because uh, that's what time travel depends on. It depends on people continually doing the same actions. I don't know if that makes sense or if the movie justifies it, but um, considering Christopher Nolan sometimes to the detriment of his movies doesn't have a lot going on underneath the surface, uh, I, I thought that was a, a nice superficial uh, grounding for him to rest on. It certainly comes with the style he's very clearly putting on display. I mean, the, like any film, this one is heightened. It exists in the universe it exists in, I believe. And it, <laughs> it's it. he wants to operate on this world where time travel is possible in the elaborate way that he's decided to go about doing it. But it exists in a manner where the characters, you know, they dress nice and they speak, not necessarily to a David Mamet extent of specificity, but like it's there. They They talk in a way where everyone knows what everyone's talking about as far as how few lines of dialogue they could use, yet how expressive that apparently is to get across the idea of a scene. And with that, yeah, you have, you have characters that have a certain kind of attitude, specifically Robert Pattinson, I think, in this scenario, where they haven't he has enough of a handle on how time works, how he can see things, not necessarily linearly, and what he needs to bring to that as far as energy goes, where he's confident, yet he can also seem ruffled. I guess just seem kind of like a layabout as he handles things that he doesn't necessarily have, believe in fate, but he certainly has an idea of, well, what's happened is going to happen, as you said. So it's like, sure. that's neat. That is, a, that is, a, that is a, for me, that that is interesting to see like a director have that kind of control over, or at least want to get that kind of control out of his actors as far as the attitude they're supposed to bring to, you know, world-threatening stakes at play. Yeah, and I think the... Uh, kind of rhythmic nature of the dialogue too. I think this is kind of his Christopher Nolan's kind of most aesthetically complete picture, at least since kind of his independent days. Um, there's a real 
kind of rhythm to the way everyone speaks. Like you said, they're, it's not quite mammoth-esque, and it's certainly not as disciplined in any way. Sure. But the fact that they do all kind of talk the same way and uh, the scenes don't – you know, they kind of over-explain themselves while also going by at such a fast pace and or in such a quiet tone of voice that they also kind of under-explain themselves, and yet no one kind of has to back up and go back over – much in the film um and between that and i really liked the cinematography too by uh hoi van hoitama yeah. um who he has a great cast to work with not only are they attractive people but they're kind of very distinct looking people so you, you get any right. two of them next to each other and you automatically have like an interesting frame and pack that with the locations and kind of the set design and all that and there's a lot to work with there yeah um but he kind of draws the most out of it you know the lens length and all that kind of heightens everything not quite to like an inception level of things seeming unreal but there is a certain kind of like daisiness to it all i guess well even without seeing this on an imax screen which we're, we can't all drive to vegas scott i'm sorry <laughs> but like i mean the the there is a a scope to this film that i certainly admire it's the kind of thing where, sure. actually, that you meant that you mentioned uh, scott mendels in as far as you know a, a director's you know he has this sandbox to play in and he used and yeah. for this for a film like this or basically every one of his films he knows how to use it as far as establishing the these you know places this film is globe trotting i mean like we mentioned it, it's a globe trotting action adventure spy movie not unlike a born or, or a james bond and those are movies that go all over the world and this one does too it gives you these huge places to visit and it lets you know that they're there it lets you know that you're in vietnam or were they Italy at some point, or any number of places around the globe, the opera. and the the opera in uh, what Ukraine, yeah. um, or, or Estonia, <laughs> um, and it's it, <laughs> it, it it but it looks great. It like the yeah yeah uh, but like he's been working with Nolan for what since Interstellar at this point, right? And it's just it's really great to especially because they're all real locations too it's not like he's manipulating anything this time around and it's and I, just... and I certainly wanted to ask was this shot on film or some parts digital oh he shoot it's the 70 millimeter imax and so he, he's shooting all on film because it looks great like oh, yeah, from... he's a, he's a no, you know nolan, nolan you know, I, I know that nolan he, likes his, he has a wind up watch he's not stuff. going digital for anything <laughs> <laughs> no because i was like this 4k transfer looks fantastic like, oh yeah so, hey. uh, <laughs> i i was just like i can't tell if this is digital or film because i don't really see any like fuzz marks but i was like it definitely has to be film because no one would never shoot digital okay, but yeah, uh, cause it's, cause it's i just want to know because like whatnot, again so. the it looks very clean on a 4k yeah, because oh. that's just that's the combination of it being you know now and he's using like IMAX cameras and 70 millimeter film where you're not gonna you know it's not it's not the 70s you're not gonna get like grimy grain on the screen and everything it's gonna look <laughs> as clear as possible and it can clean that stuff up too at this point sure so. yeah well, yeah but state the obvious it is a terrific looking picture yes yeah. uh, and I appreciate that the the Blu-ray DVD came with the IMAX aspect ratio I think it adds a lot. Oh. oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. There's a lot of information on the screen at any one time, and he knows how to do it too. Like he knows, you know, the when you're watching like shifting aspect ratios, it's like yeah, there's there's a rhythm to this. There's a way. It doesn't feel like it's it's not complicating me even more so by having like scenes that suddenly like move way down as far as you know the black bars and what have you versus going back to full frame again or what. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Um, <laughs> As far as the kind of, I mean, we we talked about the time the time travel to an extent, but like, did you did you enjoy his handle on how time travel functions in this movie as opposed to like just specifically going 
you know, using a device. Like, I guess you even do use a device. Did you like how time travel worked in the movie? <laughs> yeah, it's sort um, of an interesting take on it. The fact that you have to like physically go back through time in order to go back through time. Um, and it makes you wonder, like, could someone like this is the whole thing that you like, would expect Chris Nolan to get into. But it's kind of unexplored territory of the fact that like somebody could live their entire life within a week, just going back and forth and back and forth. Material for a sequel, Christopher Nolan. Uh, <laughs> but I also just like the big machine. I mean, you know, uh-huh. we've seen a lot of time travel machines in movies, but uh, that turnstile was pretty sweet. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it, I like how whenever there is a turnstile, there's also like you know there's two rooms so you can make sure that you're coming out of the turnstile so like you have a you have a visual on oh okay this is going to be successful i guess <laughs> yeah it would have been <laughs> it, it would have well it makes you think what would it look like if you weren't successful exactly you just yourself being blown up on the other side exactly that's that's what i was gonna ask <laughs> like what i want to know what that version looks like also yeah <laughs> that doesn't sound very pg-13 no <laughs> You know, yeah, you know, just kind of wave one of their faces being like oh yeah there he goes <laughs> <laughs> Cowboy shit. <laughs> Cowboy shit. <laughs> well, with, all right. Well, with that in mind, uh, when should people go and see Ten? It's currently available now. Should people be racing out to see the latest Christopher Nolan film, or, or what? Uh, Mendelssohn, we'll start with you. Well, I think you should find a uh, what are they called? The time travel? A turnstile. Turnstile. <laughs> go back to uh, the first week in September. Drive to uh, an IMAX theater and go feed it to his domestic box office. Because if enough people do that, safely of course, wearing masks, social distancing, then the shit ton of theatrical releases don't get canceled at the end of 2020. And I actually have something to write about. Yay. <laughs> but like barring it. that, buy the Blu-ray. Or the 4K, whatever. Scott, what if you only have a DeLorean, though? Well, time travel is time travel. <laughs> Scott and I, how about you? When should people see, when should people see this movie? <laughs> I mean, it's easy enough to see now. It's an easy six-buck rental online. Why not do it? I will say that, uh, so I rented it last night, and the Amazon streaming version, at the very least, doesn't have the IMAX version. So if you're inclined towards that, and I would suggest you should be because it looks damn cool, um, it's it's worth the extra money to pick up the disc. Uh, maybe the UHD version that you can rent via Vudu would have that version. I'm, I'm not sure, but uh, just know that that is a risk when renting online. Hmm. Yeah, as far as like our old theater, our old rating goes, this would be a theater movie, and then this would also be something that you should check out uh, whenever, as soon as you could, hopefully. Yeah, I uh, this I, it would have been neat to see what the reaction would be as far as like an online culture being able to talk about specific things about this movie or what they got hung up on, because I just don't mm-hmm. think we got to get that. I, I don't know if there well, was Well, not in this a... timeline. Not in this timeline, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if there would have been like some kind of massive debate over some random thing that happens that didn't occur to any of us, or in counter, it just like there's some kind of massive praise over a sequence that maybe yeah. we didn't address enough. Like, well, I, we, did, gonna... we didn't get the articles that, that were saying that Pattinson's going to be great as Batman. <laughs> I feel like people that see this movie are like, yeah, he's going to do a job. But like, regardless, <laughs> I do think the movie works as far as being a very entertaining action film for Nolan, who just adds his typical level of, I don't even want to say smarts. Like, it's not about being smart. It's just about paying attention. So it's just like, you know, being more involved with like what he's presenting out there. And <laughs> I'm not, not going to deny that seeing John David Washington in a role like this is like, is very intriguing. It makes it, I, I feel like it makes it all the better as far as, this kind of character, who he's playing, and what that adds to a movie, um, mm-hmm. and just more evidence that Pattinson is just very good all the time in movies. So, yeah, just a lot of fun here. Well, I mean, you know, as somebody that was more mixed on it, especially the first time, yeah, the the 
having a generic, you know, a Charlie Hunnam or a Garrett Headland, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There would have been almost nothing there for me, I think. John David Washington, both the concept of, you know, a black guy playing that role and his specific performance is, for me, what makes the movie work at least as well as it does. Well, that's our review of Tenet. Let's move on now. Let's, uh, Abe, what, uh, what time is it here? Aaron, I think it's time for a quick game here. That's a sound I've not heard in a long, long time. Little known fact, that's actually the ringtone that John David Washington gives to the phone for Elizabeth <laughs> Becky. Uh, that's how, that's how, you know, when he shows up, like, they do that in-camera trick of him standing behind her, and then he just shows up. That's that's the ringtone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a game for you guys this week. It's a new game. It's a game that I've lifted off our our good friend Doug Benson. It's called uh, he calls it Weird Algorithm. We'll figure out a different name for it. But essentially, what I'm going to do is I'm going to name a movie, and I'm going to sort the cast by order of popularity, and you can tell me who you think is the most popular. In this cast, so for example, in Tenant, this is the first question: Who is the most popular actor in Tenant right now? Um, first person, or if you name the person in the number one spot, you'll give you three points. Number two spot, I'll give you two. Uh, number number one spot, I'll give you three points. Number two spot, two points. Number three spot, one point. And then if you're out of the top three, you won't get any points. And this then is I'll, complicated I'll as Tenant. Exactly, but <laughs> uh, essentially, just me. think about popularity. You know, people are doing things in their in their movie and TV careers. Uh, but uh, the first one is Tenant. Aaron, who do you, and everybody could choose the same person and get the same points too. So that's the neat, the iron wrinkle of this game. Aaron, who do you think is the most popular person from the cast of Tenant? I'm gonna say Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. Uh, Scott Mendelson. Uh, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson and Scott Nye. Boy, uh, you know, you, you want to hail Mary something like this, but I, I'm gonna go say F.O. Pattinson. Well, three for Robert Pattinson. He is number four on this list. What? Elizabeth Debicki is number one. Yeah. All because of the crown. Oh, the crown. So everybody so this gets. Is, so this what metric? This is IMDb's metric. IMDb has a sort by popularity. And he's and Pattinson's fourth. Fourth. John so David Washington is second, and Aaron Taylor Johnson is third. Aaron so again, you got to think about like Taylor... all the things that are happening right now with. What's been going on in the news and, and all this other jazz? What's been happening with Aaron Taylor Johnson, Abe? Please inform us. I have no idea, but uh, people seem to be looking him up on IMDb quite a bit. You think he's going to carry him on WandaVision or something? They're, they're just they're, they're searching up for him more because they're like, wait, was that Aaron Taylor was Johnson in yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, we know that was Robert Pattinson. Duh, move on to the next question here. <laughs> Is there going to be a theme to these movies, Abe? It's actually just the cast of, of Tenant. Uh, so the next <laughs> one here is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which Elizabeth Debicki is in. Uh, is there... Uh, we'll start backwards this time. Scott Nye, who do you think is the most popular in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2? Oh, man. I need to look up the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Let's see. Volume 2. Who is the most popular of these losers? Uh, I'm going to go Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper, okay. Scott Mendelson. When you mean popular, you mean like people looking them up for information or what have you? For any number of reasons, yeah. Zoe Zaldana. This is why MDB's popularity ranking is so weird. Uh, Zoe Zaldana. 
Zoe Saldana. Okay. And Aaron? Um, damn it. I, it's one of the, I'm going to say it's one of the wrestlers. <laughs> oh, oh I, I like that. Mm, I like your, where your head's at here. I'm, I'm just going to throw out there Dave Batista. Dave Batista came in third, so you get right. one point. I'm on the board. Uh, Zoe Saldana came in fourth, Scott, so you get zero Ooh. points. And Bradley Cooper came in uh, seventh. So you Damn. also get one, Scott. Now, Elizabeth Debicki came in number one again. Uh, yeah, I should have seen that coming, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Wait, who's um, second? Who is second in that? Yeah. Second in that is, hang on just a second, I had it up here. It's uh, Karen Gillian. So I'm detecting a pattern here. Could it could have been a lot of a lot of uh, Welcome to the Jungle stuff. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the next one is Old Man and the Gun. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, Scott wow. Mendelson, who do you think is is wait, the wait. most popular according to IMDb in wait, wait, the Old the Man? Robert Redford movie? The Robert yes. Redford movie. John David Washington is in this movie. Who else is in that? John David Washington's in it. Well, I, I can give you some names here. Please, if, you'd like. if you don't mind. Robert Redford, Casey Affleck, Sissy Spacek, Danny Glover, Tom Waits, Tika Sumpner, Gene Jones, Aaron Taylor, oh, Jer- uh, John David Washington. Well, yeah, oh, yeah Gene Jones definitely is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Mendelson, who do you think? Uh, is most I'm going to go Tika Sumpter. Tika Sumpter, okay. Uh, Scott Nye, who do you think is. is I'm going to uh, go John popular? David Washington. Okay. And Aaron, who do you think is most popular? I guess Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth Moss came in second. Oh. That's right. two points here. Wait, uh, Moss Tika's... is in this movie? She has She's like in one scene movie. in that movie, yeah. yeah. Completely <laughs> forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Scott Mendelson, Tika Sumpner is number – what is this? She <laughs> is actually like seven. It's pretty low. Yeah, so that's a zero. So was Gene and Jones? Scott and I, uh, you had John David Washington, and he is the most popular. On the board. On the board, baby. Go. In your face, Danny Glover. <laughs> <laughs> Who I assume was uh, fifth. In terms of in terms of uh, his agent got him to be fifth, but you know, it really doesn't uh, amount to much in this game. So, the uh, last one here, the Lost City of Z. Okay. Scott and I, 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 who do you I know that. Is sorry, hold on. One. Number one from the motion picture, the Lost City of Zed. Popular yeah, Zed for our international listeners. Of course, I don't want to leave them out. Oh boy. Uh oh, probably Tom Holland. Okay, Scott Mendelson. I who apologize. Too well. I I know the two leads in that film. Who else is in that picture? Tom mm-hmm. Holland, Sienna Miller, Angus McFadden, obviously. Pattinson, uh, Ian McDermott. Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller. Okay. And Aaron, who do you think is most popular? Well, it has Dudley Dursey, Harry Melling again in there, so mm-hmm. that's a pretty strong guess, I think, in all categories. But I'm going to say Tom Holland with a bullet. So Tom Holland is number one. And that's three for you and three for Scott and I. And Sienna Miller, she came in fifth in this. So oh, she's what? not top three. However, Aaron, Harry Melling, second. <laughs> so, <laughs> a, lot of people are looking up, a lot of people are looking up Deadly Dursley for... It's those Netflix movies, man. He's, he's crushing it. They're probably like, is that is that Deadly Dursley with no arms in this Liam Neeson short? <laughs> so it's very strange. Who's third? 
Third? Yeah. Third is Charlie Hunnam. The star of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Charlie Hunnam. Everybody, I mean, Charlie Hunnam's a good actor. There's no doubt about that. I like when Mendelssohn thought he figured out the pattern of this game and then it completely blew up in his face on the last (laughs) question. (laughs) The good is exactly what this is. This is why it's like a a strange thing altogether. But, um, okay, well, Scott and I and Aaron, you guys are both tied with six. Oh, boy. Now there's a tiebreaker question here. Uh Okay. (laughs) Now, this is not in vain of the game that we just played here. Uh So try not to look anything up here. But I'm going to go with a length, a time run length. To the closest minute, we're going to play prices right rules so no going over how long is inception in minutes aaron what do you think inception it is long i am i am going to say 148 minutes 148 minutes scott and i what do you think the run time is uh literally my guess was gonna be 149 so i'm sticking with it aaron you get it exactly it's one yes (laughs) so i don't know how you got that but good job that was a great win come come from behind win i guess 148 exactly scott now you're you weren't off by that much it's pretty amazing you guys really know this movie uh, aaron you are this week's winner in games Yay! I was trying to think like, what's his longest film? And it's like, it's Interstellar, right? That has to be the longest yeah. one. Yeah. And then it's Rises, so it's like, I know this one ten, it's long, but yeah, okay, great, yay, dead on. <laughs> I'm really surprised. <laughs> dead on. Good job. I should have chosen not a Nolan movie. <laughs> How long was that one episode of The Simpsons? <laughs> 22 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 33 seconds. Like, all right, great. Thank you for that game, Abe. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, I haven't listened to Doug Benson in a long time, so that's, a, that's yeah, an interesting game that he went very, for. Yeah, it's a very interesting game that he's got going on. <laughs> gotta be. Gotta be. Gotta be. Gotta be. Gotta be. All right, let's move on now. Let's get down to feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast, where we ask a number of listeners' questions, and uh, they gave us some answers, and uh, we didn't get any questions this week, but we got plenty of answers here. So with all that said, I'll start this one off. Uh, and Scott and Scott, feel free to jump in with any answers you might have as we go through these. First one here. Spies, assassins, and special agents like to look professional. Who are your favorite well-dressed action heroes? Irene writes Men in Black. And Chris has obvious choice, but James Bond is very dapper. Also, Harry Hart from the uh, Kingsman films. Oh. Look, I'll just say, since I brought up the Pirates movies earlier, that uh, Kira Knightley in Pirate Garb uh, had a very strong effect on me as a young man. <laughs> Let me think. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, Pierce Brosnan looks dashing as hell in a tux in the Bond pictures. I would argue he wears a tux better than his uh, compatriots. Well, because he seems comfortable in it. Like, yeah, yeah. Dan, Daniel Craig's always complaining about things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Husband in and text. I like Babe it. Baby, dad. Uh, yeah, Will Smith in Spies in Disguise. <laughs> As a pigeon. As a pigeon. <laughs> yeah, I think he's still wears the bow tie, right? Yeah, he's the white, like, the, the feathers form like a bow tie on him. <laughs> because he's a spy in disguise. Of course. <laughs> uh, what about you, Aaron? Um, David Harbour? Sorry? David Harbour? David Harbour. Yeah. In, uh, yeah. That Netflix movie. 
What a what a random pull, <laughs> David Harbour. He, he he looks like he's having a great life. <laughs> um, I don't. I'll shout one out if I think of one. Okay. <laughs> the next question is: Tenant features a number of big explosions. What are your favorite explosions from blockbuster movies? Chris has when the bus finally explodes in speed. That scene in Apocalypse Now and the truck blowing up in Mad Max Fury Road. Farron writes in and says: Explosions of the Nakatomi Plaza and Die Hard. Also, Apocalypse Now and Independence Day, cities go boom. I think when they blew up that hospital in the dark night. Oh. Yeah. I think. Oh. Just for the iconography, I enjoyed was one of the first, the, the, the big second act explosion in Desperado, where they, the two of them toss the grenades and the stuff blows up behind them. So it was one of the first, you know, cool dudes that look at explosions moments. Mm-hmm. And it stood out back then. Yeah, as far as setting up something like that goes, I really like the Con Air one. As far as they're like all there, right, walking away from an explosion, it's that's a fun scene. Uh, when the helicopter crashes into the building in The Matrix and Trinity's like swinging away oh, from yeah. it, and it's oh, yeah, going that's cool and slow motion Oh, oh, oh! Uh, this yeah. I apologize. The scene in Jurassic World where the helicopter crashes and the dinosaur doesn't look at the explosion. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool, cool dinos don't look at explosions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the um there's a i mean the whole franchise is full of explosions but the in the 2014 godzilla there is this thing where like the muto destroys part of a plane and the plane blitz on an airplane airport so on the runway so it blows up another plane and another mm-hmm. plane all this stuff happens and it finally lands on it starts stops when godzilla's foot just slams down and introduces him into the film for the first time it's very it's a very cool intro but it's, it's framed by explosions and thank I you godzilla that. for stopping that chain reaction <laughs> <laughs> Chain, reaction, a, doesn't feature, chain yeah. reaction doesn't feature as many explosions, so I didn't, I didn't want to pick that movie. Despite having a cool box cover. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> isn't it like, isn't it Keanu riding on a motorcycle with like, with uh, somebody's face on the cover too? I don't no, it's know. Keanu, it's Keanu and Morgan Freeman's face, and um, I want to say, well, it's like a Fox action movie cover, so it's like those two on the top, and then on the bottom there's like some kind of action going on. I figured it was the hovercraft chase that's going yes. on in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Next next question. Here. Uh, Tenet introduces a version of time travel that's fairly different than what's generally seen. What are some high concept films that subvert the normal expectation? Chris has Dark City and Inception. Mm. Um, I don't know how subversive this is, but I still would argue that my favorite pure time travel movie is still Twelve Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know how subversive that is, but I remember. They just kind of like they just kind of eject you into time, yeah. right? Like that's kind of how it happens. Yeah, yeah. And it's often inaccurate. <laughs> I don't have a great answer for this, I'm afraid. Yeah, nothing really comes to mind immediately. Uh, the butterfly effect is different. Just you know, the, the circumstances of how the quote-unquote time travel plays out. I wasn't thinking necessarily specifically time travel. I mean, yes, there's movies that obviously do it different, but I would just meant it like in terms of high concept films in general, as far as doing anything different from the norm like i feel like my, my head went to like certain vampire films that don't tend to ride on vampires the same way like let the right one in or only lovers left alive as far as mm-hmm. how you typically see vampires or what they're doing right i mean nobody would, would suspect a hot tub time machine right so yeah, yeah <laughs> hot tub time machine yeah uh well in that case i would you know I'm, this isn't you know uh you were never really here um, just hmm. that that's I got the title right, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Where it's basically a violent action thriller where most of the action is off screen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
Okay. Uh, the next question is, who are your favorite larger-than-life villains focused on some kind of globally scaled plot? Jim Dietz, friend of the show, has the brain from Pinky the Brain, always <laughs> trying to take over the world. And uh, Elon Musk. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Jeff has Dr. Evil. Uh, and Chris writes, yeah, Dr. Evil was my first thought, too. I I gotta go with uh, PSH and Mission Impossible 3, who's still like <laughs> the gold standard of spy movie villains for me. Putting bombs in people's heads? Yeah. Um, I don't know how over the top he is, but I I absolutely love Jared Harris's work in Sherlock Holmes' Game of Shadows, partially because he's so level-headed and just a stone-cold psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked... Uh, well, obviously, my, one of my favorite Bond villains is still Sean Bean and Goldeneye, who's kind of trying to destroy the world, not really. More collateral damage kind of thing. Oh, well, he's trying to what, like... Launch EMPs to stop the banks so he can yeah. take all the money. <laughs> like, yeah, he's stealing sense. a bunch of money. He just happens to, you know, it's gonna cause chaos while he does it. Um, I do like Michael Lonsdale in Moonraker that yeah. you play as far as Bond villains go, but, but both because of his plot is selecting. I mean, it seems very racist, but selecting oh, people enough. for space and destroying very the problematic. world. Problematic. And, and also being, like, very uh, annoyed by Bond continuing to survive the various things he puts him through, which is, yes. like, there's a very dry sense of humor in, in Lonsdale's performance as far as does he communicating get those wonderful that. toys? Yeah. Uh, and how about uh, Nick Cage and Face Off before he gets turned into John Travolta? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's having a ton of fun there. <laughs> he made being evil look very cool. I, I feel but, like him smoking that cigarette, finding out that his face has been cut off, would really dry out the, the skin even more, right? I feel like he's got bigger <laughs> problems at that point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they cut my face. Um, all right. All right. Next question we have here. What are some great blockbusters that make good use of unique locations? Scott, another oh. Scott, writes, writes uh, To Catch a Thief. And Chris has The Grand Budapest Hotel and The Beach. I feel like Chris is, neither, neither of Chris's are blockbusters, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't say anything, Well, I was going to say, like, a lot of those, we, we talked about a lot of Bond movies already, and those Bond movies always use great locations, like, um, uh, but I'm trying to think of, like, something else out of... I know it was entirely for mercenary reasons, but I enjoyed the Hong, or the, the yeah, I think it's Hong Kong, the finale of Transformers Age of Extraction. Age of Extraction. Mm. Um, Age of yeah. What did I say? Extraction. Age of Extraction. That's that's where Optimus Prime. That's where Optimus Prime has to has to uh, rescue uh, Shia LaBeouf and <laughs> yes. take him around town and everything. Uh, yeah, that that's by default my favorite Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, all, really, all the Transformers movies that you mentioned. I mean, just the fact that the second one climaxes on the pyramids, which they yes. got access to because the guy who owns the pyramids likes Transformers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that's, that's what I read anyway. That's awesome. And, like, John Totoro broke down. He's like, I get to do this? Like, this is insane. <laughs> yeah. So that's a pretty solid use of location. I mean, when you're rich, I guess you can tell people to film on your on your lot. <laughs> Probably one of those Fast and Furious movies. Any, any one after five. And yeah. yeah obviously, places. the real-world locations for the Lord of the Rings pictures. Um, like with the mountain huge. ranges in New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah, those are... Those are it's, you know, is a big reason why they feel like, you know historical fiction well cool and the last question is having made another huge film and with word he's moving into a new studio what should christopher nolan focus on next luke writes coherent plots audible dialogue no big twists 
Chris has uh, a, a great, big, awesome, uncomplicated, epically shot blockbuster. Scott Mendelson, do you remember what you wrote? Something to the effect of, you know, as long as I can hear the damn film, he can do whatever the hell he wants. Audible dialogue. Anything else yeah. is subjective, but Tenet was at least 20% more enjoyable with subtitles. It was. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I regretted that, you know, that not being my first experience. Uh, Warren oh. writes, making movies that don't suck. I don't know, Warren. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, ouch. Um, and Maxwell Friend of the show writes, another period drama. Also, wow, such unfortunate snark in these comments. <laughs> He's right. Uh, what would Christopher Nolan, what would you guys like him to see do next? I would like to see another unreliable protagonist. That was like a real hallmark of his early stuff right up through Inception. And mm. ever since then, he's kind of abandoned it. Even though Inception is like my least favorite of his movies, I would like to see him kind of return to that territory. Let's see a Chris Nolan musical. That'd be fascinating. Yeah. I think he has the, I mean, I know you're partially joking. I just don't, I, like, yes I don't know. I, mean, I like musicals, so. I, I mean, I like the idea of yeah. seeing blockbuster directors taking on something like that. I just yes. feel like his attention doesn't seem to want to go that way uh, like if he did it it feels like it'd be on a dare versus a passion <laughs> um, and, you know when, when people have asked these questions my mind generally goes to well what genre have they not done <laughs> so you know a musical a straight horror picture i mean obviously i don't this is i think he needs to go the Shyamalan route where he you know 10 million dollars for blue mouse but so yeah i mean it's, it's it's i think he's gotten the james bond out of his system and I'm curious I, to see I like what he does next. I, I'm sitting somewhere between what Scott and I and what Maxwell have said as far as, like, yeah, a more conflicted narrator, one that just is not reliable, as well as something that's set in the in the past to some degree. I mean, I've seen him do future tech to a degree and what have you. I don't think he has – I mean, I'd, be, I'd look forward to seeing him do something more, but – as far as his depictions of a future society, that just feels less interesting to me than what he can hand, what he can take on to something that we already know to a degree, but put his own spin on it, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, why like the prestige is very, I mean, his only, his only historical um, or period drama, I get not historical, but period drama. I mean, I, it'd be neat to see him play in that kind of realm again, as far as creating stuff that was, you know, that was once new instead of something that is new and then adding on some kind of degree of, complication involving who we're following in the story and if it was something like historical like you know some kind of interesting take on a biopic that's not the standard i feel like he'd be able to accomplish that yeah um mine is a cross between scott mendelson's uh it's a uh, a musical about sports so make that christopher <laughs> nolan could be high school musical i don't know but i make it I, i'd watch it ted lasso the musical i still haven't caught up with them people say that they love it it's yeah. quite good Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, every, pilot every, is okay. Give it to the second episode. Okay. Literally every tweet is like, oh, everybody convinced me, and I finally watched it. You know what? It was great. Like that's. I've, yeah. <laughs> no, I've seen no one that's like, yeah, this yeah, was disappointing. That's, you guys are wrong. Very accurate. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Well, that was that was enough feedback. 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 We roam now for we begin with some inbox. Her offset each narrate erudition nominate mock about who was the outward was we were rude nay. Snimmer knew we were bringing it over somewhere. There was no eating at the remark. These look about what's her found thicker web room. No, if Nikki does, uh, skips other pillars. No, that that film one night. And uh, with that, that's going to do it for this week's uh, episode. You can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodeseat.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing reviews over at Leela Entertainment and Blue Reviews over at whysoblue.com. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Scott Mendelson, where can people find more of you? Uh, Forbes.com, the ticket booth, business as usual. Yeah, my Twitter handle is at Scott Mendelson. Otherwise, that's, that's how you find me. Scott and I? 
Uh, yeah, on Twitter at Rail of Tomorrow, uh, on Letterboxd, and that Battleship Pretension and Criterion Cast. Abe, what are we what are we doing with you lately? Is Sub Six Forty coming back or what? Maybe. Yeah, that, that until Christopher Nolan makes his sports movie, we're on hiatus. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> find more stuff over my Instagram, Abe.Mua, and Twitter.com slash Walrus Moose. Hashtag do they poop backwards? <laughs> <laughs> what happens for these bodily functions? Anyhow. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now if they're in name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Right on our Facebook, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. And follow all our breathtaking updates over at instagram.com slash outnow underscore podcast as well. Uh, thank you, Scott Mendelson and Scott and I, for joining us this week. Thank you, Scott Mendelson. Thank you, Scott and I. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for distinguishing between the two of us. Mm-hmm, for sure <laughs> you distinguish yourself all by yourself if you're not wearing a mask i barely know who you are so i have to do it some way so with with all that said <laughs> it was happy to talk with you guys about tenant hope everyone enjoyed our episode next week we're talking the little things mm-hmm. uh so stay tuned for that but until next time so long and goodbye like a gruff soldier now in your version <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's listen up rookie it's me mark yeah. donovan <laughs> <laughs> tenant <laughs> and then insert shot of michael kane <laughs> as michael kane yes as as sir michael right? fourth, fourth build fourth build? <laughs> wow. fourth build he crushed it his contracts nailed this one <laughs> i was gonna but, say michael kane strikes me as a guy with a good agent so uh well yeah. done for sure yeah fourth like people saw that poster and were like well michael caine's of this like that's what the logic is right there is like uh, does, uh, does aaron taylor johnson get get top five bill? He, you, top you wouldn't even know he's in this movie if he didn't see it you wouldn't know okay. he, he's like the so matt they, damon they of this scenario for interstellar <laughs> it's like I, I guess he's in this movie but he's not that, really that's what nolan's doing these days he's putting easter eggs in with in the form of an actor yeah he's taking white guys you kind of like and thinking yeah they can pop in like fourth two thirds of the way i love aaron taylor johnson i love kick ass <laughs> Like Himish Patel has a lot more time than Michael. All right. Anyway. With an American accent. <laughs> <laughs> not singing Beatles songs. A slow evening is not. It's kind of grim. And it's. Sad. Good morning. 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 Good morning